You are listening to the Krika Lecture Series podcast, produced by the Center for Russia, East Europe, and Central Asia at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This and other Krika podcasts are available on SoundCloud and iTunes. For more information about Krika's lecture series and public events, visit our website at krika.wisc.edu. Um, Dr. Uh, Sally Rucker Cheng here. She is an assistant professor of Slavic and East European Studies and director of European Studies at the University of Cincinnati in the Department of German that has many other kind of like studies in it. The worst in the DNS, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, she will, can talk about that better. Her primary interest, however, lie in cultural and racial formations in the Balkans. She is a co-editor of and contributor to the book Chinese Migrants in Russia, Central Asia and Eastern Europe, that was in 2011. Her work has appeared in the Journal of Muslim Minority Affairs, Critical Romani Studies, Journal of Transatlantic Studies and Interventions, the, the International Journal of Postcolonial Studies. She has a co-authored book, Roma Rights and US Civil Rights, a transatlantic approach, which is currently in press with Cambridge University, and her co-edited volume, Balkan Migrants, To, From, and in the Balkans, Identity, Alterity, and Culture, is on the contract already with Liverpool University Press. And for the 1920 academic year, Sunny will work on her monograph focusing on racial formations and blackness in Yugoslav and post-Yugoslav Spain for which she has been awarded an American Association of University Women Postdoctoral Research Leaf Fellowship. Um, two research leaves in a row, right? So very productive. <laughs> and we are just very happy that in her, during her research leave, um, Professor uh, Dr. Sunny Rucker-Chang is able to give her talk, Roma Filmic Image as Postcolonial Object. So please welcome. So thank you for that lovely introduction, Manon, and thank you um, to everyone at the Center for Russia, East Europe, and Central Asia for making this possible. Um, I would especially like to thank Maria Vishnevsky and Sarah Linkert for taking care of the logistics, um, as well as just being incredibly helpful in the organizing <laughs> process. Um, and finally, I would like to thank you all in attendance for taking time out of your busy schedules to come to my talk today. Um, before I really get into my talk, I'll put my little timer on here. Um, before I begin my talk, though, I, I really, I'd, I'd like to acknowledge that my application of post-colonial theory and the attendant concepts of race and blackness remain a minimally applied approach in the field of Slavic and East European studies. Um, therefore, I enter this discussion, however, with a belief that we can and should discuss post-socialist Yugoslav space through the frames of the colonial and therefore post-colonial, knowing that the idea is still up for debate. Um, in fact, the comparison still surfaces in scholarship about the region in the form of a question, which sort of marks that this is still, um, there's some tentativeness in talking about it this way. Some examples include the 2012 article, post-socialist does not equal post-colonial, question mark, on post-Soviet imaginary and global coloniality by Mladina Tlastonova, um, the 2015 volume, Post-Colonial Europe, question mark, essays on post-communist literatures and cultures, 
edited by Dobrota Pucharova and Robert Grafik, and the 2018 book, Race and the Yugoslav Region, Post-Socialist, Post-Conflict, Post-Colonial, question mark by historian Catherine Baker. And I should say that I suspect this tentative position will remain. Um, however, um, as I have moved into the field of critical Romani studies, the common language there lies in theoretical frameworks of critical, Romani, critical race studies, excuse me, post-colonial theory and intersectionality. All theoretical frames that center on dialogues of difference, especially those related to race and are moreover articulated from the point of view of those who are themselves inflected in their own societies. It is from this point of view that I seek to analyze Yugoslav and post-Yugoslav cinema with significant Romani, and I should also say people acting as Roma, um, what, so in the, in the cast. And what I'm presenting today is part of my new project, The Uses of Blackness in Yugoslavia, in which I investigate racial formations in former Yugoslav space. I embrace, then, the assertion posited by media scholar Anik Wimre that, quote, it, is no, it no longer seems necessary to argue that the post-socialist region is post-colonial. Rather, it is our task to highlight the rich possibilities that such an exploration can afford. It is from this position that I anchor my research and look forward to a rich conversation about the possible outcomes of such a position. Finally, before I really get into the content, I want to state that in instances where I use the offensive term gypsy, it is solely in historical and situated context where no alternative is given. So with that, I will begin. Um, in the 1967 film, I even met Happy Gypsies, directed by Alexander Petrovich, the Roma productively reside in a pastoral landscape. In this case, it is the town of Sombor, located in the autonomous region of Vojvodina in northern Serbia, which is presented as remote, muddy, chaotic, vulgar, and plagued by criminality. This film is an example of Yugoslav black wave cinema, an experimental cinematic movement that emerged in Yugoslavia during the 1960s and 70s and explored, among other things, according to Greg DeCure, the means of alienation in socialist society that were hidden in the discussions of Yugoslav progress and movement toward a better future. Roma are positioned in naive and met happy gypsies as the victims, not victors of socialism, left behind in the construction of new Yugoslav systems in a new country. And that they are able to serve as a symbol of failure, this early example illustrates how Roma on screen present as a stable signifier of inveterate internal outsiders. The failures are not directly articulated, but that is unnecessary given the expected position of Roma in these films. It is also unnecessary to state this role because really who else but Roma could easily evoke difference and recall the inadequacies of Yugoslav society, particularly when they are themselves regularly positioned as relation, relational to those failures. So. The height of black wave cinema emerged at nearly the same time that Yugoslavia was in the throes of geopolitical realignment, beginning to create a wedge position between the capitalist West and Soviet East. What emerged from this repositioning was the non-aligned movement in 1961 uh, at its first conference, and its goal was to create pathways for the denouncement of the colonial in favor of equality and egalitarian frameworks. The movement was inherently anti-colonial, buttressed by the idea that so long as neocolonialism dominated relationships between the former colonial powers and the new nations, then genuine independence and non-alignment was impossible. In order to create new points of convergence for those countries wishing to be outside the dominant pools of East and West, Yugoslavia and 23 black and brown leaders of post-colonial nations created the middle way through the non-aligned movement. 
While race was never given much attention as a rallying point for Josef Broz Tito, the leader of Yugoslavia, until his death, there was a performance, to quote my colleague Serjan Bucetic and uh, uh, Jelena Sukotic, there was a performance of racial solidarity by way of Tito's travels around the global south and the relationships he forged with the leaders of those nations, as well as in official rhetoric in Yugoslavia. And I just have some um, images here. There's the composite from the first summit. There the, the, above the composite are those individuals considered to be the founders of the movement. And then there's a picture of Tito with Halle Selassie. And next to the picture of Tito with Halle Selassie um, is a picture of children awaiting the arrival of Tito in Sudan. And these are just a few pictures. There are many, many, many pictures. Um, and actually, as sort of a sidebar, there was a, uh, an exhibit that has been going around on performing solidarity on Tito's travels around African countries. But anyway, through the establishment of Yugoslavia, Yugoslavs came to believe in the idea of brotherhood and unity, or at least they acted on this idea of brotherhood and unity. Whether or not they believed it is up for a debate and based on the individual. And with the establishment of the non-aligned movement, this applicability became global. Encoded then in this idea was a belief in universal humanity and a shared brotherhood with those who looked different, especially with black brothers in dark Africa. Through the creation of other Yugoslav myths, most of which stemmed from World War II, Tito was able to effectively suppress ethnic difference for decades among the majorities, majority <coughs> Slavic populations and some minority groups as well. However, the suppression of ethnic differences did not directly address the firmly entrenched, internalized, and I would say European, racialized hierarchy in Yugoslavia that positioned Roma, their cultures, and origins as different from the majority and therefore inferior. Um, the racial contract is a way that I like to think about the way that race is within not just Europe, but globally. Um, as articulated by philosopher Charles Mills, is effectively a global political system that transform, transforms human populations into white and non-white groups whose positions in society are, quote, clearly demarcated by law or by custom. Because Western thought occupies a primary and aspirational place of prominence in the world, race plays a significant role in constructing societies, irrespective of empire and geography. And I stress there the idea of empire, the irrelevance of empire and geography, because a lot of times when I have these conversations with people, they say that because we were not the heads of empire, this, these um, ideas do not apply to us. But I like to stress that uh, I don't believe that that's the case. So through understandings of race and race, race and racialization may differ based on local formulations, the structures differentiating white and non-white persist, not always based on the physical foundations of such a system, but in relation to or difference from an understood and accepted norm, which is created and dictated by the majority, causing racialized minorities to be pushed aside because of their inability or lack of desire to conform or assimilate to the wills and mandates of the majority. So because of the persuasive nature of this contract, it is not only possible to map local manifestations of it onto spaces without traditional forms of race, or that were never the heads of empires, I believe it's necessary. Only in situating the global structures of power and dominance in these unlikely spaces can we truly understand the impact and broad reach of racialization and the global formations of race and the attendant constructs of whiteness and even blackness. In recognizing then that localized systems of race, particularly the local demarcation of white and black among majorities in Romani groups in Eastern Europe, can we understand why Tito's lack of engagement with race and insistence on racial similarities among non-aligned members without adequately addressing the struggles of racialized groups, particularly Roma in Yugoslavia, can we understand the disconnect inherent to global brotherhood and unity and the perpetuation of Romani dislocation in Yugoslav space? 
So in understanding that racial hierarchies are deeply entrenched, it becomes clear that the language of empire, coloniality, neocoloniality, and postcoloniality are the theoretical frames, as theoretical frames, are useful to confront and understand how these systems persist, even in spaces that have been categorized as outside of them. For as Romani scholar-activist Angelo Kotze reminds us, the application of the term colonialism can be understood in a broader sense, not just a specific conquest or event in the past, but as an ongoing exercise of economic, military, and political power by stronger states and groups over weaker ones. The colony as such is internal to the state, comprising subaltern classes and those human subjects perceived to be infrahuman, is the term that she uses. So as German scholar Fatima El-Taib reminds us, discourses around black Roma, or Roma as black rather, neither replace nor are similar to the racialization of people of African descent within the same societies. Nevertheless, the discourses overlap. The Roma as Eastern Europe's native quote-unquote black populations ascribes characteristics directly imported from the racist discourse around the black race. That this persists illustrates the power of the racial contract which maintains a racial hierarchy and positions global whiteness as akin to civilization and mechanisms of power, whereas blackness or racialized difference inferior. Therefore, those inflected by blackness become relegated to an object, something to be studied or observed as inferior, and therefore offered in position to some understood cultural, racial, and social norm. Roma are defined by this role in former Yugoslav space, particularly in the films that I will talk about here in a bit, um, and include the idea of post and I include the idea of postcolonial's commentary on both their colonial subjectivity as well as a postcolonial scholar whose work I borrow from in adopting the term. This, I argue, is the backdrop informing the position of the Roman characters in I Even Met Happy Gypsies, and their inclusion into the film in these inferior frames recalls their overwhelmingly disadvantaged position as an attribute of their object status and all of the elements that help to define that position, including their blackness, their ostracism, and their constructed inability to persist in spaces of modernity. And so I have a few film clips that are relatively short that I want to show here. Um, the one on the bottom is uh, just to sort of show you the, the frames around which Romani culture is frequently articulated, and this is sort of the, the passionate gypsy here, or Roma. No sound. There is no sound. Oh. <laughs> That's okay. I'm sorry, I should have tested this beforehand. <laughs> is it on is the sound on, on your laptop? I've all been through it. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. Let me test it. In this case, if we can't get it for this, for most of these visuals, um, or most ah, of these it's the laptop. Okay. is it not on? Okay, so yeah, that's that my solve. very basic oh, yeah. mistake. Okay, <laughs> all right. All right, so going again. we'll try again. I apologize, that's, the most, that's what I should have checked first. And on this one, the film, this, the sound is particularly bad. So this has nothing to do with, it's just bad. I will get this together better.
so you can get the point there of just um, overly romanticized image there. And so the next two very short film clips that I'd like to show you. So one is sort of establishing the the spaces in which Roma are presented in film. And the next two I want to show the contrast between Somor as it's presented in the film to Belgrade as a space of modernity and progress and how as it's framed in this film, Roma reside necessarily outside of these frames where modernity is um, given an opportunity to thrive. So you can see the contrast being set up between the two spaces. And not just the spaces of people, but there's other as well. We'll go back to this last one when Tisa, one of the protagonists in the film, actually makes it to Belgrade. So the, the filmic image of Roma is created largely by non-Roma, and in these portrayals it is important to highlight how their representation on screen is mired in difference, either from the majority, as is in the case in Naive and Met Happy Gypsies, or in the unarticulated coded images that mark their difference 
from a settled norm of the majority. As such, I believe it illustrative to articulate the dislocate to articulate the dislocated position of Roma as it appears on screen, at least by way of race and racialization, as it provides us cues to understand their difference. In these films that employ a colonial or even neo-colonial gaze, skin color, unfamiliar environment, and communities that live on the margins of what would be considered normalcy rendered them unassimilable, despite centuries of coexistence with majority populations, which is an aspect of their blackness, I believe. And I should state here that blackness here by the way that I define it anyhow is an extension of the racial contract that I mentioned earlier. And I have defined this type of blackness elsewhere as surfacing in three ways in former Yugoslav space, including physical or epidermalization, to give a nod to Fanon and his discussion of epidermal blackness, situational in reference to Maria Todorova and Milica Bakic-Hayden's ideas of um, Balkanism, and as revolt, which really emerges in Serbia in the early 2000s, but is a nod back to um, 1960s and 1970s revolutionary forms of blackness. So each type, in my opinion, responds to a particular space-time and provides context in its embodiment on screen. Blackness is re related to portrayal of Roma in the films here as manifest in the physical and plays a significant role in highlighting their marginalization. Even without placing Romani characters into disadvantaged surroundings, which is actually very rarely the case, they are associated with poverty and a host of other stereotypes such that they themselves become a sign of despair and distance from what is considered a sociocultural norm. This becomes particularly marked in filmic portrayals from non-Roma as Roma are framed not in reference to their own communities or expectations, but by the gaze of the dominant culture and position of the majority, rendering, I believe, their experiences akin to double consciousness to reference both, oh, not just both, but Du Bois, Franz Fanon, and then also Paul Gilroy, where their physical selves and images are mediated through outside norms and expectations, namely they're not allowed to exist in their own frames. Roma are framed then as outsiders in two regards. One that is symbolic by way of imposed and obvious difference from the majority and exposes existing outside of acceptable frames. And the other relates to what Dina Yordanova expresses a projection of Balkan as quote, marginal and poorly adapted but likable for their vigor and non-traditional exuberant attitude, which we saw a bit of that in the bar scene that I showed you. Um, both frames are really neo-colonial in that this position is imposed from the outside as majority cultures reject majority, uh, Romani populations and place them and their various lifestyles as unacceptable. So the neo-colonial construct then recalls Ami Césaire, who recounted in his 1950 work, Discourses of Colonialism, that, quote, colonial domination required a whole way of thinking a discourse in which everything that is advanced, good, and civilized is defined and measured in European terms. Given that Césaire was, in fact, discussing Western Europe in his discussion of colonial powers, and given that Europe's East, and therefore East Europeans, have regularly been held to unequal standards, as well as seen as inferior to Western Europe and West Europeans, postcolonial critique, I believe, illuminates the analysis of the relationship of Southeast Europe to Western Europe as the flows of information intellectual movements and racial hierarchies have left imprints throughout Europe. It is also useful it is also useful to analyze how this unbalanced relationship between East and West in Europe gets internalized and informs the relationship of, of majority populations to the marginalized Romani communities and their borders. The internalized racial hierarchies affect outside perce perceptions and therefore filmic representations, rendering them affected by their object status, if we return to Fanon, or their thingification, if we borrow language from Césaire. So, 
moving on to the next film. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit here, some water. So, in the work European Others by Fatima El Taib, um, she explains how Roma are defined by migration narratives that render them outsiders in European landscapes and places they have lived for generations. Aidan McGarry in his 2017 work expresses very similar sentiment. So that Roma are cast as internal others helps to explain the relational difference to other minorities in Southeast Europe and how the story that is retold in the 2013 film directed by Tanis Tanovich, Donis Tanovich, excuse me, is defined by Dino Murtic as a genre which fuses together experimental documentary and filmmaking and feature filmmaking. The film features a Romani family acting out an actual episode from their lives when the matriarch, Sonata, was in desperate need of an operation to remove a fetus that had died inside of her, but was unable to obtain the operation because of lack of insurance and a lack of funds. The film simultaneously recounts how the patriarch of the family, Nazif, who in this case is the iron picker, attempts to collect enough scrap metal to pay for his wife's surgery. He is unsuccessful, and even though Sonata is ultimately able to get the surgery she needs by using her sister-in-law's insurance card, the, film can, the family can barely afford to pay for the post-operation medication she needs. And complicating the situation when they come back from her surgery is the electricity is also cut off because they cannot afford to pay for that either. The film is bleak and set in staggeringly, staggeringly harsh, hilly Bosnian landscape where regularly falling snow complicates Nazif's work. Also insinuated in the film is that the family resides near a power plant and is affected by environmental racism, predictable landscape for marginalized minority communities. Um, and I'll just show you very briefly here, um, Nazif at work, gathering metal. Nazif will continue doing this back and forth until he fills up his cart, and then he goes and cashes it in um, for money to help pay for his wife's surgery. Um, 
So in the film, the family is situated in narratives of dislocation and difference, illustrating how Roma represent frames of marginalization again. And they fail to realize neo-colonial expectations of not just the West, but arguably the society in which they live in. Um, however, in this film in particular, um, we can think about Bosnia and how it remains outside of the frames of cultural Europe and instead is viewed from the outside by way of its relationship to Balkan and all of its negative connotations. Um, in fact, this film, similar to others that take place in Bosnia, including Our Everyday Life by Anistanovic in 2015, Children of Sarajevo by Aida Bajic in 2008, Grbavica Land of My Dreams by Yasmila Zhvanic in 2005, and also On the Path, well, and on the path also by Yasmila Zhvanic from 2010, directly address the ironic notion that things were better off during the Bosnian War, reflecting the complicated position of contemporary Bosnia. Um, this film, again, also relates well, I believe, to the double consciousness of Roma um, in Bosnia, and in some ways the region as a whole. What uniquely situates Roma in this film is that their reliance on various NGOs, including those specifically tasked with helping only Roma, speaks to the stereotype type held about them that interrogates their presumed insufficiency and inability to provide for themselves. As I have discussed elsewhere, the idea that there are organizations whose goal um, is to help one individual ethnic, and I would assert racial group, is not unusual within former Yugoslav space, but quite uncommon within a West European context, which further distances Bosnia from established European sensibilities. Um, that these organizations operate in Bosnia speaks to their 25 plus years beyond the war, which directly, sorry, directly relates also to the need for outside help for Bosnia in general. Um, in episode, however, there is no explanation for why Sanada and Nazif need help except that they are poor. However, that they are allowed to receive help from organizations that only support Roma, even if Sanada does not actually receive any help from them, can easily be viewed in under, as undeserved and unfair because it is not available to all. If positioned into broader fame, frames, Sanada and Nazif could be viewed as having outside perceptions of the Balkans projected on them and could be seen as offering a critique of the individualization of Bosnian civil society. If the position of Nazif and Sanada is read as internal colonization of Roma or outside projections of otherness being imprinted upon them, Sanada and Nazif exist again by way of their double consciousness and that their story has been immortalized by outside representation positions, it outside and beyond their control. Given these distant representations, the viewer who can only read their difference could not be taken simply by their harsh environments or unfriendly, even rude reception that they get from doctors and nurses, but rather their experiences, which are framed again by, race, by way of their difference from the majority. Their experiences, rather than highlighting the struggles of a marginalized people, expose Roma again as outsiders within, rendering them objects of a local and probably even broader European neocolonial gaze. And this last clip here that I want to show you is just when Nazif goes to um, the NGOs looking for help for his wife.
Hvala, dobar dan. Jel Centar za socijalni rad indira ovdje pećenca odruženja žena Ramkinja Bolja odlučnost? Možete već moji osvodi jer se nalazi gospodin Mujić na Agrifis Paljica. On imao problem sa ženom, Senada Almanović. Dobro znam ja da vi znate, ali žena ima svet problem, ne može, nema još se stava da plati, traže joj Traže je skoro hiljad maraka da plati operaciju na UKC, ova nema trascene knjižci. Može li se išta urat, mislim, pošto je to i hitan slučaj, i turnica, i po zakonu, i nekako rodnici, trebalo da ima zdravstveno osiguranje. Ne možete vi ništa. Pa ko može? Pošto svašta. Dođenja. Ni oni ne mogu, ništa nema osnova da je zdravstveno osiguraju. Tako da onaj ne znam šta bi ti. Ok, ono evo... Move on to the final film, which is a 2016 documentary film called Revolution Eternal by American artist and filmmaker Megan Dalder, who documents her experience during her first trip to Serbia in 2010 where she unearths the history of Yugoslavia to find what and who has been left behind as a result of its dismantling. Um, so the connection between space and history places this film in the director's mind as happening in a country that she says does not exist anymore, failing to recognize contemporary Serbia outside of Yugoslav frames. By connecting the space to a bygone era, country, and culture, Dalder presents Serbia as akin to a non-place as most people there do not seem significant enough to be defined individually. The general disregard shown towards Serbia reifies its placeholder as Balkan, and this position is odd given that the film is supposed to draw attention to Romani dislocation and distance from mainstream of society, and highlight how the revolution, unlike the contemporary setting, sought to bring together Romani groups with the majority co-nationals based on cohabitation and not assimilation. The overarching Romani difference is cast into a young Rome named Stanisha, with whom the director says she has fallen in love. The film takes place in Belgrade on the site of what was supposed to be the home of the Museum of the Revolution, but was never realized as the revolution had outlived any usefulness in constructing any collective memorialization of Yugoslavia. The film begins with narration from an architect commissioned to construct the museum. His name is Slobodan Maldini, who serves as our guide through the history of Yugoslavia, its leader, foundational principles, and goals. Stanisha and Dalder become fast friends but cannot communicate with one another because of a language barrier. Through the help of a translator and their nonverbal communication, we learn some things about Stanisha, Stanisha, including that he is unemployed but is looking for work. So Dalder hires him to give her a haircut. Stanisha cuts Dalder's hair and asks her to cut his in return, and that's an image of them cutting each other's hair. Um, through their interactions, Dalder becomes interested to learn more about Stanisha and what her new and mostly nameless acquaintances term, quote-unquote, the real Serbia. So she sets off with Stanisha to his hometown in Leskovac, a small town situated 275 kilometers southeast of Belgrade. Upon arrival in Stanisha's majority Roma community, Dalder says, the landscape began to change. And with that change, the fi filming style also shifts to choppy scene cuts, alternating between one short scene to another with short black screens in between. 
These transitions between scenes help, I believe, to mystify Roma and their surroundings. Who they are and what they do is woven into the film by way of their distance from familiarity. And I'd like to play that short scene that's set up before they get, or when they're arriving to Lescalades. And it, the, the clip is cut off a little bit in the beginning, but what she says is, I lost my wallet on the way to Lescalades. And it seems like we've been walking in circles since we got here. I wasn't even sure if Stanisha still had family living here. And now I couldn't pay for a place for us to sleep or anything for us to eat. But even though I had no way of knowing what was going to happen next, <coughs> I trusted something. And then the landscape started to change. Stanisha was telling people I was from London. I'm pretty sure he knew I was American. So in Leskovats, Megan learns that Stani shows Rome and learns that the term is preferable to gypsy because of its romantic connotations, and I would include its overt racism. That Roma are one of the most marginalized people in Europe, Dodler explains, which then she, the Roma are, sorry, the Roma are one of the most marginalized people in Europe, Dodler explains, when, uh, which then she follows up with the notion that she was guided by something bigger. Of course, this something is unknown and unknowable, as it is seemingly unintentional, unintentionally, a romantic notion connecting Stanisha and Roma back to distant frames of the majority that Dalder suggests she is moving away from. Following their return to Belgrade, Stanisha seems to just disappear, like Tito and the revolution. And Dalder looks for him, asks others about Stanisha's whereabouts, but is unable to find Stanisha. And the film concludes here with a cloud-filled blue sky, filling the entire frame with Maldini narrating, the revolution does not always have to be the thing you think it is. The film could be superficially read as challenging the status quo and notions of Romani difference, and that they were irrelevant during the existence of Yugoslavia, providing, thus providing a tension with the post-Yugoslav reality. However, as Roma become conflated with narratives of difference and myth that Maldini uses to describe Yugoslavia, they too become interwoven with the revolution, which is not a revolution rendering war necessary, but rather a social and cultural revolution to reignite the spark that once moved the people of the previous generation. The sentiment illustrates how in positioning Stanisha as a symbol for all Roma across the Yugoslav space and by subjecting the Romani characters as objects to be studied, possibly understood, but framed through the outside gaze again. The social justice aspect of this film is lacking, I believe. Instead, Roma are framed by an outsider as examples of otherness. As a result of the entrenched nature of Roma being rendered post-colonial objects, this gaze reifies the position that Roma inhabit in the collective imaginary of the majority. So in this conclusion, I will say that it's a very short analysis, but um, I analyzed three uh, former Yugoslav or countries, post-Yugoslav countries, um, Southeast European films to illustrate the post-colonial that how the post-colonial emerges in the post-socialist South European filmic context, such that tropes typically associated with post-coloniality are projected onto the populations that live in these spaces. The majority population is impacted by the gaze of the West and the EU, 
which in turn is mapped onto Roma who are racialized by way of their difference in distance from the majority. That they are familiar, yet unassimilable, encodes onto filmic representations of Roma, a reference point of difference familiar to most, if not all, in the region, such that their mere presence in film connotes alterity. This imprinted difference assigned to Roma renders them not subjects, but objects, as I said in the Fanonian sense of the term, and that their experiences, culture, and mere presence is mediated by and filtered through projections of the majority. Reading these films in this way, I believe, provides new potential paths to link the various posts to recall a very important article that links post-socialism and post-colonialism. And, and these posts, I believe, include post-colonial, post-socialist, post-communist, post-civil rights, and even post-racial. In that, Romani communities are frequently referenced by way of their difference, their position both historical and contemporary, which could provide productive paths for future research, which is precisely why I'm engaged in this project. Thank you. <laughs>